the childhood imprint of Lent was this feeling of, oh, this is quite similar to being in sheltering in place and in quarantine. Uh, this time of Lent is a time of atonement and deep reflection and letting go of the surface, what's, what's extra. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that. I've been away from the practice of Catholicism now for at least probably 20 years. And so I can dream into the images of my childhood with a kind of innocence that wasn't always there. So I invite you, if you have some baggage from Christianity, to um, dream into these images with the childlike innocence that you also contain. So first, um, was the remembering of Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. And it's a day of fasting. And what that looked like in my particular family was we didn't eat meat, we ate fish. Um, but it still had that imprint of we're giving something up. Uh, all during Lent and my family on Wednesdays, uh, we would go to this uh, soup kitchen for all the families in the church. And we would eat soup in a little tiny plastic bowl and we'd get one piece of bread. And it was like, a kind of symbol of giving up. So Ash Wednesday, um, we would go to church. This was one of my favorite rituals from Catholicism. We would go to church and get marked. Everybody who um, was in the church would get marked with ash on the uh, on their forehead, a thumbprint of ash from uh, one of the church elders. And they would say to us, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I love that. It was like for one day, everyone was earth. You looked around and you didn't see Shanae or Adele or Kisei. You saw earth, ash, 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 ash. It was like totally took away the hierarchy and the roles and the ranks and brought us together in our shared humanity, our shared beingness as one with the earth from which we came and which we return. And for that day, we were walking earth and asked to remember that. It was a poetic remembrance that we aren't separate from tree, from soil, from sky, which I didn't quite get at the time, but has impacted me and has opened in my Buddhist practice. That lizard, gorilla, woodpecker, plankton, virus, star, all composed of the same stuff, come together as this one particular being with a unique perspective in time and space and then returning to earth, water, air, sky. So Lent was a return to essence, fasting and reflection, like I said, atonement. And as kids, we gave up something that we loved most, and the way my kid mind worked was I would give up chocolate or television, which in a way, simplified my life. 
And it was the first real taste of what sacrifice actually gives you and made space for what I actually loved, like spending time with my family and eating dinner together and going for runs and playing in nature, which I now could do because I wasn't glued to the television after school or at night. But I also remember this feeling in my church community and family at that time of Lent as being one of honesty, of people taking off their masks, the masks of separation or the way that we try to appear in the world and letting their souls expose. And again, remember, we're looking at this from a kind of childlike innocence. I know it can be idealized, but there's some quality of people trying to do that. And it could be felt from a particular perspective. Because it touched, maybe in me, my longing for essence and exposure to be seen and to really see another human being. To see our shared humanity, our wholeness, our interconnection. So now with the coronavirus pandemic, we as a nation have been thrust into where we've stopped. Stopped in a lot of ways. We've put our lives on pause. Given up things that we loved on the surface, like travel, vacations. The constant habit of mind to think of the future in its small ways, like what can I get to make my life better? What can I do to get more of the things that I like? What can I not do to get more of the things that I don't like? Or to get less of the things that I don't like? (laughs) And so we're fasting from busyness, from mindlessly following the routines that we've put in place to stay safe. I want to share now a poem from uh, one of the women ancestors. So something, something I've been taking refuge in during this time, and this you know, speaks again to the, the analogy that I'm using with Lent of uh, you know, not having to... One of the things I love is going into Portland Uh, from the monastery and spending a weekend in Portland and eating at restaurants. But what I really love is poetry. And (laughs) one of the gifts I've received uh, during this time of uh, shelter in place is not having to go downtown or not going downtown and having more time to spend with poems and Poems have been speaking rather deeply to me at the moment because there's just like a poignant openness to the deeper truths that run uh, like rivers through us and connect us. And I think there are just times in life where we're just drawn into their depths or they're just more open to the wisdom. So... I've been taking refuge in poems, and particularly two days before we went into quarantine, I received this book. It's actually for the monastery, but I've been hoarding it. 
the first free women, uh, a new collection of poems by the early Buddhist nuns. And this poem is by Gutta, and her name translates as guardian. And she says, Going forth is no game. We leave whole lives behind. Not just people and possessions. All your wants. All your fears. All the little rituals that get you through the day and tuck you in at night. Only see that all these pretty wooden pieces aren't you and don't belong to you. They belong to the game. I know it's comforting to count up all the squares, to run your fingers along the edge of the board and plan out all your moves ahead of time. The world beyond the table only seems dark, like empty space. It's okay to be afraid. Disruption, like Kuta is speaking of, which is speaking of leaving our old life to enter the, the spiritual life. But disruption comes in many forms. Disruption to our routines. Sometimes we uh, create it for ourselves. Like at the monastery, we change our schedule a lot, just in little ways to kind of throw ourselves off and get bumped around, potentially let the mind open to not knowing. But we also have these major disruptions. Right now, we're in a disruption globally. And disruption has the potential to open the mind and amplify the nature of mind, the great mystery, the spaciousness of not knowing. And like Guta said, that can bring up a lot of fear. And that's okay. Right? It's okay to be afraid. One of the qualities are things that can happen when we're contained in a certain kind of way, like during a meditation retreat, like during session. Uh, and now, as a global society, in this sheltering, stopping our normal habits, is that what has been hidden from consciousness or hidden from our awareness, the things, the ways that the mind operates, the pain, the grief, can begin to come to the surface and be felt and expressed and allowed and released in its own way. And so she's saying it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel your life. Any reaction that you're having right now is okay. It's allowed. It's welcome. And can we be this for ourselves and for others? This welcome, non-judgmental 
heart, this space that says, yes, yes, of course you have parts that are scared right now. Of course you have parts that are grieving, that are hurting, that are quite vulnerable. You contain these small selves, these young parts, these vulnerable places. And it's okay. And it's okay that you have angry parts, selfish parts, arrogant parts that try to protect these more vulnerable parts that try to protect us. Like I said, this analogy of session and the practice of stopping allows us to get present to our heart state and to see all that we contain. So not only does it amplify fundamental truths, Yes, we will get old. Yes, we will get sick. Yes, things are of the nature to change. Impermanence is real and verifiable. These are the Buddhist truths. These are human truths. These are truths about the nature of reality that are amplified, that are able for us to have insight into, to see for ourselves, to experience for ourselves, to know for ourselves, and that knowing is wisdom. It's not intellectual knowing, it's somatic. And also this stopping, pausing, allows us to see the beautiful qualities of the heart. The beautiful qualities that we contain, like compassion, like empathy, like joy, that we can appreciate beauty. And we actually get to experience them if we let ourselves. Like we get to see what love feels like, what compassion feels like what it's like to just appreciate. And it amplifies the challenging parts of ourselves. Someone I was talking to uh, recently in the Sangha told me that this feeling of social distancing and isolation or quarantine, sheltering in place is causing the squeeze. We sometimes talk about that just in monastic practice in general. You're being squeezed. Squeezed by the schedule or by the, the not knowing or by the no distractions. The microphone died. Pause. <laughs> Open to your original nature. See the irritation that might arise. Beauty. 
Maybe they were appreciating the silence. So I was talking about being squeezed. Squeezing can happen in so many ways, but say like the squeeze of um, sheltering in place, of being contained, and how it was causing his anger and irritation to just rise and spill out, bubble out. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a path of purification. This is a good thing. This is important spiritual work, the path of clear seeing, seeing what we contain. Stopping allows us to get present to this life. To notice how we feed fear with thoughts of the future, worries, disaster, planning of what might happen if this, this, and this happens. It's, it's interesting to watch the mind do it with small things. Like, I re-injured my knee for the third time this year, just as it was about to be what I thought back to normal so I could go on hikes again. And now my mind's like, oh, it's going to be like this forever. And I'll probably have to get surgery like chosen, but I'm only 35 and I shouldn't have to get surgery. And she cannot even sit anymore in the same way that I want to be able to sit and do yoga. So anyway, that's what the mind could do. <laughs> when we feed, when we just let the, the mind run and how it can just get tangled and tangled and tangled. And same with anger. We can feed anger with thoughts of uh, the past, of all the people that have wronged us. And if we just practice that over and over again, it can just feed this fuel, this fire of anger and hatred and violent thoughts. I'll read a poem uh, by Joy Harjo. Do not feed the monsters. Some are wandering thought forms looking for a place to set up house. Some are sent to you deliberately. They come from arrows of gossip, jealousy, or envy, and inadvertently from thoughtlessness. They feed on your attention and feast on your fear. So don't feed the monsters the fuel that they want on the surface. But what do they really want? What can we do? Feed them loving kindness, non-judgmental attention, hear what they actually want. Like, what does fear want? Curiosity, a gentle, patient, I see you, I know you're hurting, kind of listening. Or I thank you for your perspective to the inner critic, kind of listening, and move on. Or give them something to do. 
harness the energy of the affliction. Anger can be passionate, can be clarifying, can help concentrate the mind, can be energetic. Fear can be spacious, it can be open, it can be at peace and not knowing the energy. Anxiety can be generous, can be connective, the energy. So the difference between the thoughts and just the feeling. And if we're not labeling it, oh, this is fear, it's bad. This is anger, it's bad. But just feeling the energy, we can clean, organize, dance, plant a garden, harness the energy of the affliction, and let it fill the body and then do something. The last week of Lent, which this is the last day, I guess, it's Easter. So the last week of Lent uh, contains the Last Supper, which is usually on a Thursday. And it was this was one of my favorite rituals. So um, at my parish growing up, the priest wouldn't wear his normal, more elaborate vestments, but would be dressed in a, a humble servant um, vestment. And then he would wash the feet of the newest members of the church. And we would sing these words, My Lord Jesus, after eating with his friends, washed their feet and said to them, Do you know what I, your Lord, have done for you? I have given you example that you also should do. And I love this ritual because, again, it was a ritual where the hierarchy of the church was temporarily suspended, and we were all recognized as kin and reminded that we have the responsibility to each other, to take care, to care for each other in this really humble way of washing each other's feet, that we can see the wholeness in each person, the beloved, the beauty. And that we have responsibility to this earth. Read another poem from the first free women. This is from Punika, who was a slave. In the early morning, well before dawn, I would go down to the river. It was my job to carry water up the hill to my master's house. Of course, we all want to be free. But what good is freedom when your sisters remain slaves? I used to imagine an old man down there by the river. I used to imagine what I would say to him. What does it mean to own another human being? What does it mean to feel your own skin, to touch it, and to know you are not free. We all have bodies, my sisters, I don't have to tell you. But where did I get this body? Who made me a slave? The old man and me standing here, watching the river, waiting. But for what? Over the years, this round heart has been pounded flat. Sometimes it doesn't feel safe to feel anything at all. Don't give up, my sisters. 
Whatever you have to say now is the time to say it out loud. All our dreams of the past, all our dreams of what will be, come. Reach out your hand. Some rivers we must cross together. I've been thinking a lot about what this pandemic is teaching us. And I've been inspired by other thinkers, philosophers, religious professionals, poets, and humans who are doing the same. Easter is a celebration of renewal, rebirth, resurrection. What qualities of the human heart do we want to resurrect? to reclaim, to re-inhabit, to integrate? How do we live from our wholeness? How do we practice seeing the wholeness of all beings? The Buddha's utterance at the time of their awakening has been ringing in me all day. I, together with all beings and the great earth, have simultaneously awakened. We are this earth. We are one with this earth. When humans stop, the seismic activity of the earth slows. Pollution begins to reverse. The earth gets quieter. Rivers in Venice clear and fish come back. Skies in India clear. And it's only been a few months. What kind of world do you want to live in? And how do you want to live? We are co-creators of our own reality. The way the mind inclines, what one inclines the mind towards becomes the inclination of the mind. It's a quote from the Buddha. And to paraphrase it, it's what we think is what we become. What happens when humans share a collective vision? What manifests when humans share the collective vision of the Bodhisattva vow? It's a selfless vow. It takes the desires and motivations of self-interest and puts them in perspective and gives birth to a collective awakening that honors the wisdom and compassion of every single being, that leads with love and understanding, that is a big view. Tisa, one of the first nuns, says, Make every thought a thought of freedom. This has been one of my favorite lines since I've read it. Make every thought a thought of freedom. See every being as free. Make every thought a thought of love. And then freedom and love are what manifest. 
It's okay to be a prophet at this time. It's okay to have vision and to be a voice of hope. In fact, vision, intention, is part of the spiritual path. I'll end with Joy Harjo. We are the earth, she told me that day we sat at her kitchen table. Everyone came to her table from the four directions to hear her stories. One day I will be gone, she said, and what will you remember of what I tell you? I realize now that she was the very earth herself talking.